Welcome to Samford University's Campus Worship. We hope you enjoy the presentation. Well, good morning. Good morning. Good morning. Good morning. Good morning. It's good to see everybody. Welcome to Campus Worship. Uh, my name is Brian Pitts. I'm a campus pastor here in the Office of Spiritual Life. Really appreciate you taking some time out of your day and choosing to come and spend it with us in campus worship. Just as a reminder, uh, if you have a phone or something that's going to make some noise, if you could please uh, silence that for us, that would be great. Also, remember that on Tuesdays in campus worship, we're walking through the Proverbs. We're opening up the scriptures and we're asking, what does it mean for wisdom to live into our life? And on Thursdays, we're asking the question, what does it mean for that wisdom, for the things that we're learning from Scripture, to really be lived out in the world? And this morning, uh, we're going to be uh, asking the question, I don't know if you've noticed or not, but there is a, um, there's an election coming up. Has anyone seen that that's happening? Yeah? Just a little bit? It's only been all that we've talked about for the last two years, I think. So... In, in preparation for this morning, we're going to be asking, we're going to be asking, what does it mean for Christian faith to engage the electoral process, to engage the political process in our country? And in preparation for this morning, I found this quote by Christian Smith in the book Lost in Transla- Translation, Lost in Transition. Sorry, Lost in Translation is a movie. Um, And he talks about democracy, and he says this, Democracy requires the active political participation of its people. A thriving republic depends upon its citizens becoming civically informed and active in order to exercise the informed public stewardship needed to sustain communities of responsibility and freedom. Effective government, to the extent that it is such thing as possible, requires an attentive and informed public that can envision a common good, interacted with the political system, and hold government officiants accountable. Furthermore, any thriving human life, by most accounts, requires some participation in civic life, extending oneself beyond one's own private world to participate in broader communities and public institutions. By doing so, people have the chance to learn more about the larger world, connect relationally with different kinds of people, consider how to build shared lives together that benefit all, and personally contribute to the well-being of others. Well, that sounds very wonderful and a great vision. But over the past few years, I've had many conversations, and especially over the last few months, with good, responsible people who are seeing divisions rise up within their own families, within their own friend groups, with people that they used to could speak openly about. Now they're having to edit themselves, or they're only waiting to get their own argument across. They want to, they some people just want to give up and walk away. But as Wendell Berry said in the quote as we were walking in, there is in practice no such thing as autonomy. Practically, there is only a distinction between responsible dependence and irresponsible dependence. So in other words, to quote the great cinematic work, High School Musical, we are all in this together. So this morning, we have invited Dr. Westmoreland to speak into our country's cultural and political moment. A quick survey of history will tell you that in many ways, this moment is the same story that humanity has been playing out over and 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 over and
over and over. But in other ways, there is a sense that this moment is unique. So I pray that you will listen with grace, with attentiveness, and in anticipation of the part you will play in the days ahead. So hear these words from Scripture, and then I'll pray, and then we'll welcome Dr. Westmoreland. 1 Timothy chapter 2 says this, I urge then, first of all, that petitions, prayers, intercessions, and thanksgiving be made for all people, for kings and all those in authority, that we may live peaceably and quiet lives in godliness and holiness. This is good and pleases God our Savior, who wants all people to be saved and to come to a knowledge of the truth. For there is one God and one mediator between God and mankind. The man Christ Jesus, who gave himself as a ransom for all people. This has now been witnessed to at the proper time. Therefore, I want the men everywhere to pray, lifting up holy hands without anger or disputing. So would you please pray with me? Father, we are thankful for this moment that we are able to pause in our life, that we're able to look up from the busyness of classes and schedules and responsibilities and consider what it is that you have for our lives and to consider, Father, what it is that you may have for our country and for the church. We pray, Holy Spirit, that you would move and that we would be attentive to your leadership. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Please welcome Dr. Westmoreland. Thank you, Brian. And it is such a joy for me to serve alongside a really wonderful spiritual life team. And uh, Brian, I appreciate the work that you've done for arranging this series. Thanks for the invitation to to me to uh, come over and talk for a few minutes this morning. And um, Admittedly, it is late in the game. Uh, I mean, the election is next Tuesday, but I've chosen today to announce my own candidacy for the presidency of the United States of America. Yeah. Why not, right? Why not? 1,985 years ago, approximately, on an evening at the end of a very long day, Jesus is gathered with the disciples for what we've come to know as the Last Supper. They're gathered in a room, and Jesus is doing what Jesus did so well. He's teaching. Right up until the last minute, he's teaching the disciples. And then that time is concluded, and Jesus knows full well that with a matter of hours that he'll be apprehended by the authorities and within a matter of days he'll be put to death. And scripture records in the Gospel of John that Jesus concludes his comments to the disciples this way, I have told you these things so that in me you may have peace In this world, you will have trouble, but take heart, I have overcome the world. And then Jesus prays. After Jesus said this, he looked heaven 
looked toward heaven and he prayed. And in the middle of his prayer are these words. I am coming to you now, but I say these things while I am still in the world, so that they may have the full measure of my joy within them. I have given them your word, and the world has hated them, for they are not of the world any more than I am of the world. My prayer is not that you would take them out of the world, but that you would protect them from the evil one. Sanctify them by the truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, I have sent them into the world. For them I sanctify myself, that they too may be truly sanctified. May God bless the reading and the hearing of his word together this morning. Well, as Brian indicated, uh, I have been asked to speak for a few minutes. And I've been to several convos myself, and so when I say a few minutes, I really do mean a few minutes. About the nature of Christ and culture and politics, and it is a daunting task. And I told Brian earlier this morning that I wish that instead of asking me to do this months ago, he would have asked me only a few days ago, so I wouldn't have worried about the assignment so much. Frankly, I cannot fully reconcile the role of the Christ follower in culture and in politics. Although political science is my academic home and thoughtful scholars have written deeply and widely on this topic for generations. For me, this is the ultimate challenge of how we are to live as Christians in this world, but not of this world. And in less than one week, we will all render unto Caesar a vote according to our own conscience, whatever that conscience dictates. And then after the election, the next morning, we will attempt to get on with our lives. We will listen to the rule of law and we will get on with our lives the next morning. But the question that I pose for us today, those of us who have professed that our only true hope is in Christ, is larger than just what happens next Tuesday. I think that the whole matter of politics is a subset for the larger question. It is the question of this and of every age. If we are not of this world, what are the keys to a meaningful and purposeful life in this world? If we are not of this world, then how do we effectively, meaningfully live in this world? And in the text that I have just read from John chapter 17, Jesus knows, as I said, that he will soon be betrayed, that the cross awaits him, that he'll die, but that the disciples will be left behind to carry on the work that God has begun through him. And so he prays for the disciples. And by extension, I hope that we understand in this room this morning that Jesus was praying for us as well. He was praying for the disciples, but he was praying for us, for those who would come behind over an extended period of time, for the entire body of Christ for all time, as we all continue to labor in this world. So what may we gain from this passage? I have three truths, quickly, that I want to offer for your consideration this morning. First, we are called to accept the joy of relationship in Christ 
whatever burdens we bear. We are called to accept the joy of relationship in Christ, whatever burdens we bear. Jesus prays these words. He says, I say these things while I am still in the world so that they may have the full measure of my joy within them. Can you, can you grasp that? Jesus is knowing that he is about to be, be betrayed, that he's going to be crucified. He understands the burden that he is facing. And yet, in the, in the midst of all that, he's talking about not only his joy, but the joy that the disciples could find in him, even within the context of a burden, an incredible burden, that would lead to his own death. Jesus is praying that we would experience joy. Is it possible to find joy even within a massive burden? Years ago, when I was about seven years old, I can remember that there was a family that lived, a couple that lived near us. And I will admit to you today that I thought at the time that they must be ancient. As I think back on the years now, they couldn't have been much older than I am today. But I remember this couple. They lived in a very impoverished state. They had practically no resources. We knew the couple. And then one day, without any warning, a young boy about my age came to live with them. I discovered that this young man was their grandchild. And I never knew then, I do not know now, the circumstances that led to this young man coming to live with them. But we can only assume that the circumstances were dire that led in this young boy coming to live with much older grandparents who had nothing. You know, I'm sure that there were moments in their lives at that point where they looked at this situation and they thought, how will we cope with this? But then I watched over an extended period of time as they poured everything that they had into this boy. And somewhere in the world out there this morning, I would imagine that there is a man who is about 59 years old, who I hope is doing good things. And largely because two older grandparents with very little of the world's resources to pour into him poured everything that they had. I learned at that point in my life that something that looks like a terrible burden can be a thing of great joy. It is all depending on the perspective that we offer. As we come to this election, we're burdened, many of us, about the divisions in our country, the decisions that await us. It's a massive burden. God can use even this to bring joy. Jesus said, I pray that the disciples, that we find joy in our relationships. The second lesson that I want to talk about this morning from this passage is that we are called to acknowledge the protection provided by God. Note these words from the prayer. My prayer is not that you take them out of the world, 
but that you protect them from the evil one. Jesus is, is praying that God leaves us where we are because we have important work to do. But as we are left here and engaged in this work, he asks the Father for protection for us, even now after a lifetime that is much longer than yours. I am not certain that I grasp the impact of these words, but let me try to offer a simple restatement of them. The very Son of God is making a direct appeal to the Father on our behalf that as we remain in this realm fully engaged in doing God's work, we receive divine protection, protection from the hand of God, the creator of the universe from the forces that would undo us. The Prince of Peace has prayed for our protection. So how do we reconcile our anxiety about something as mundane as the approaching election with that fact that Jesus has prayed to the Father for our protection? If we have God's protection, then we ought to do God's work without worry. A few years ago, my wife, Gina, and our daughter, Riley, and I accompanied a group of students on a trip to Taiwan. We were there for about three weeks, and one evening, I was at a university, and I was concluding a, a lecture to Taiwanese students about American culture. They wanted me to talk about American culture, and so I did that, and it was about an hour and a half and we finished and then I was at the board and I was erasing the things that I had put there and a young man came up to me and he engaged me in conversation and he said these words. He said, what does it mean, show me the money? Well, of all the things that I was expecting, I think I was not expecting that, that question. And so uh, I stood there and actually tried to give a logical answer to, uh, to, to what that phrase means. And then he began to ask a series of other questions, and then he began to get into religion. And he asked several questions about faith. And then all of a sudden he said, uh, do you know Mary? And I thought, well, we've been talking about religion and so I said, do you mean Mary, the mother of Jesus? And he said, no, I mean Mary, your student, who was here a couple of days ago. I said, oh, oh okay, yes, I, I know Mary. And the reason I knew Mary so well is because Mary, as a 19-year-old, earlier in life, had had a bout with cancer. And in fact, she had lost a leg to cancer. She was a cancer survivor. She was in college. She had determined that she was going to go on this trip with us that was happening in June. And then in March of that year, Mary had received word that her cancer was coming back. And so I did what you would expect me to do. I called Mary to my office and I said, uh, Mary, I think you should not make this trip. Uh, it could jeopardize your life. There are all kinds of things that could happen. I think you should stay home. 
Mary then assured me that she had raised independently money for this trip, that she had made all of her plans, and that it didn't make any difference what I said, that she was going on this trip. So she made the trip. In this conversation with the student in that classroom, he then began to talk about his conversation that he had a few days before with Mary. And they'd had quite a conversation. And in that chat, Mary had explained to him how her relationship with God through Jesus Christ had enabled her to endure a whole lot of difficulties in life. In fact, it had been the key in her being able to be sustained in first the loss of a leg to cancer and then the knowledge that her cancer was returning. And then the young man said something to me that I will never forget. He said, I was impressed with Mary. He was not very impressed with me. I couldn't even effectively explain to him what was meant by the phrase, show me the money. But he was mightily impressed with Mary. Mary understood something, even at the age of 19, that I didn't fully comprehend, and that it is that God's protection is complete. It does not come to us in all of the ways that we sometimes desire protection, but it comes to us. Jesus prayed for our protection. Can that not give us the confidence to interact in the world when we know that Jesus himself has prayed for our protection? The third point, and it's your favorite because it's the last. We are called to aspire to a life based on truth. We are called to aspire to a life based on truth. Jesus prayed these words, sanctify them by the truth, your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, I have sent them into the world. The sanctification that is referred to in this passage is a holiness that is achieved by setting apart, which would seem to be a contradiction in terms here, because how is it that Jesus asked for us to be set apart, but in the next phrase, he says that we are sent into the world. If we are set apart, how can we then be sent into the world. Sometimes we see the truth, I think, in the greatest clarity when we are deep within the world. And I can't imagine a place that is deeper in the world than a prison. But I heard a story just a few days ago about something that you probably are not even familiar with, but Sanford actually teaches a series of Bible courses, not for credit, but we teach them at places all across Alabama and outside for people who just want to learn more about the Bible. Some of these courses are actually taught in prisons. And a few weeks ago, at the Aliceville Federal Correctional Institution, Aliceville, Alabama, and if you drove over to watch us do so well against Mississippi State in football on Saturday, 
you probably drove right by the road and saw the sign, the green sign pointing to the Aliceville Prison. One of these courses that we teach there is taught by a local pastor named Glenn Sandifer. And it's a course that's taught for the women who reside in this prison. An introduction to New Testament. A few days ago, in this prison, the deepest part of the world that I can imagine, two ladies who had enrolled in the course talked with Reverend Sandifer after class, and they each said that they recognized that there was something that was missing in their lives. He explained Christ to them. He explained the necessity of their confessing their own sins and asking Jesus to come into their lives. They did that in the midst of this prison, deep in the world, they accepted Christ. When I heard this story a few days ago, I was struck again by the great clarity of the truth of the gospel that Jesus died as an atonement for our sins and that whoever we are and wherever we are and regardless of what we've done and for my sins, for my sins, that our hope is in God and my hope is in God through a relationship with Christ. And for me, that is the ultimate truth. And if we are called to truth, as Jesus prayed that we would be in this prayer. We have nothing to fear ever in the discovery of truth. So our joy and our protection and our purpose are tied to ancient transcendental truth. Who knows what this election will bring? It has surprised every one of us, I think, in the developments that have occurred over the last weeks and months. If we were inclined, there could be plenty about this that would worry us and plenty that would divide us. But what I say to you this morning, as those who say that we follow Christ, is that in him we need to be active in this world doing all of those things that we are called to do for a world that he loves and as we do that we will find his joy and we will find God's protection and we will cling to his truth and these are the things that on November 9th we will cherish and then we'll go back into the world and do all of those things again. Would you bow with me as we pray this morning? Father, I thank you for this moment, for this, this single moment of gift of life. Father, I thank you for bringing us here today. I thank you for giving us purpose in our lives. Father, I pray a special blessing for those in leadership over us in this country. Give them the wisdom that they need to make wise decisions. Father, for all those who seek public office today, 
I ask a full measure of your grace. Help them to be responsible people who want to make good decisions and bring around them the people to assist in that process. Father, we love you. Even so, we can't comprehend how much you love us. We thank you today for the life and the witness and the example of your son. Father, we thank you for finding joy. We thank you for the protection that we're afforded. Father, help us to relentlessly seek your truth in all that we do. And I ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Ladies and gentlemen, you are dismissed. Thank you. For more information about Samford University, check out samford.edu.